Uh, Father in heaven, we thank you for the opportunity to gather. We thank you for the opportunities you've given us this week um, to proclaim the gospel, to have spiritual conversations with family, with friends, with strangers. Um, Father, we pray that you would help us to be faithful. Help us, give us eyes to see uh, when there are doors, um, when there are opportunities. And uh, Lord, help us to do so because we love you and we love the salvation that you've um, purchased for us. Father, we pray as we continue this morning thinking about your character, your attributes, um, as we uh, talk about your patience, we pray that um, you would encourage our hearts, um, that you would grow us um, as we, we think about you. We pray that we would delight in you um, and um, speak of you rightly and honorably. And we ask these things in your name. Amen. So, you remember last week as we were kind of continuing to talk about um, uh, God's attributes, we went back to Exodus 34, and you can go back there, Exodus 34, and this is right after the golden calf incident. There's this question as well, is God going to continue um, with the majority of Israel? Is he going to make a new people through Moses? Uh, He's been making this covenant, but it's not even fully made yet when, before Israel rebels. So the question is, what's going to happen? Um, and in the midst of that, we really get Yahweh tying to his personal name uh, all these attributes of his character. So, and really, in a sense, God is proclaiming, Here, here's, here's the core of who I am, right? Here's who I am as Yahweh, um, and so let's just go ahead and read uh, Exodus 34, 6 through 7. And what we've been doing, right, we just kind of started marching through this list. But uh, go ahead, someone go ahead and read that. So last week we started, so God's proclaiming, here's my name, Yahweh, Yahweh. Well, who's Yahweh? He's a God, merciful and gracious. So we started last week talking about God's mercy and his grace, um, his mercy and his favor, if you want to put it that way. So what's the next on the list? Slow to anger, right? Now, we've already talked about God's wrath and his anger, uh, but what is this highlighting, slow to anger? His restraint, another name for that, patience, right? Uh, literally, this phrase in Hebrew is long of nose. God is long of nose, which is just an, uh, a, a word picture. Uh, I think, I, I, I was hoping to look this up, but I didn't get a chance to. I think there are two theories between why that is the imagery for God's patience. One is kind of um, the idea of anger is you kind of feel it in your face and your nose, and so there, it's like saying you have a long fuse uh, would be one way of saying it. Or I think maybe the other way of considering it is like when you smell a, a stench, right? 
Um, if you have a long nose, it takes a while to get. Um, I'm, I can't remember what the, the, the accepted theory of like, why is it that in idiom? In either case, it's like saying you have a long fuse, right? Which is a, a way of saying you're patient, you're slow um, to anger. So when we talk about God's patience, we're talking about his patience, uh, his being slow to anger, uh, other terms that are used in this both um, Old Testament and New Testament, long-suffering. Uh, so the word that commonly gets used for patience in the New Testament is really this idea of long-suffering um, or forbearance, okay? Um, and so all of those are kind of in the realm of talking about patience, okay, God's patience. Uh, now, as we investigate this, um, let's, let's look at a few passages that kind of just illustrate God's patience. God's just declaring that he's patient here. He's slow to anger. But the question is, what, is, what does that look like? Uh, let's first actually go to the New Testament. Go to 1 Peter. Well, it's kind of the New Testament. It's referring to the Old. So go to 1 Peter 3, um, 17. 1 Peter 3, um, 17 through 20. Someone go ahead and read that. Through 20. Okay, so there's a lot going on in this passage. Um, you know, it's putting in the context of Christ's suffering and what he's suffering for. He's suffering to bring a people to himself, which really connects with our idea of knowing God. But what I want you to focus on in this passage is where do we see the idea of God's patience. Yeah, so in the days of Noah, what, how did God display his patience? Yeah, so patience, while Noah's building an ark, um, uh, but also, it's not just patience for Noah building an ark. What else is happening? What was that? Absolutely, and that's what Rachel said too, right? Is that there's this patience giving an opportunity for these people because it talks about these spirits. It's spirits of the people who have departed um, in Noah's day, right? And they did not obey, uh, but even, they did not obey in the context of God exercising patience. Uh, I think if I remember correctly, it takes Noah 120 years to build the ark. Does that sound right? I have to double check that. But, um, okay. In either case, it takes a great deal of time. And during that great deal of time, um, Noah is evidently proclaiming uh, uh, he's a preacher of righteousness. I think Second Peter actually mentions that. He's a proclaimer of righteousness. And there's this patience, okay? Now, let's get a big, let's zoom in on that. Like, okay, God's exercising patience in the days of Noah. We can kind of just read that and be like, okay. 
But let's go back to Genesis 6 and remind ourselves of what the culture is like during that time. So go to Genesis 6. And look at Genesis 6, 5 through 8. I'm going to go ahead and read that when they got it. Okay, so what is the what are the days of Noah like? Yeah, um, this is like the most comprehensive statement on human um, depravity in the whole of Scripture, pretty much, right? Um, the man left to his own devices and given enough time, every intention and thought of the heart is only evil continually. Like it's just that's where the thoughts are going all the time. Now, obviously, Noah is an exception in his generation, and he has favor with God. Um, But that's, remember what we said, God has a sincere love, which means he abhors evil. And here we've got the, this horrible, wicked generation. um, And yet, what does 1 Peter say? God is patient. In the face of all of that, he's long of nose, right? He is, he's got a long fuse. And it's not only that he's, he's patient, to save Noah, but he's also patient, as we've already said, in that Noah is proclaiming repentance, evidently, in the midst of why he's building the ark, right? But all of that gives a picture, a very concrete picture of God's patience. Any questions or thoughts on that? Now, that's not the only picture of God's patience. Let's go to Acts. One thing to just say, oh yeah, God's patient, but then to see pictures, concrete pictures of what does that look like, uh, then it kind of fills out that notion. So go to Acts, go to Acts 13. Now in Acts 13, Paul is in a synagogue, and he is, uh, they ask, they, they effectively say, hey, uh, you guys are visiting, do you want to say anything? And then Paul takes that opportunity to uh, speak to uh, the synagogue about Jesus, ultimately. But in the midst of that, he does it in the context of Israel's history, because he's talking to Jewish people in the synagogue. So, um, Acts 13, someone just read verses 6, thir- Acts 13, verses 16 through 18. Okay, so uh, we're not going to read all of Paul's sermon because right here it's just um, Paul, um, and it's re- recorded right in Acts, so it's inspired scripture. Um, 
where does Paul point out patience, God's patience? He put up with them. <laughs> I love that, uh, that. That phrase is used a couple of times, actually, in the, the New Testament. But here, that's another way of talking about God's patience. He put up with them. Who did he put up with? Yeah, specifically who of the Israelites? Yeah, the Exodus generation. Now let's uh, recall our Old Testament a little bit. What was the Exodus generation like? Fickle, right? So they, okay, we're going to follow God, and then, you know, they don't. Uh, what else? Uh, yeah, so Patricia complaining, right? They're grumbling. Um, you see that in Numbers. You see it in Exodus, right? They grumble. God saves them. Wait a little, a little while. They grumble again. Um, idolatrous was another one, right? They, they get swayed into going after other gods or even making with the golden calf at incident, uh, a representation of the one true God in a false form, right? Um, disobedient. Uh, the author of, you know, God says, don't do this. Don't go out. Um, you don't go out on the Sabbath to collect manna, right? And then they do. Or um, don't go up to Ai um, and try to conquer because I'm not with you. And then they, no, no, we'll go do it, right? So for 40 years, right? This is happening, okay? What is, what is, uh, what does Paul say about this here? As far as God's character displayed. He, he put it up with it for 40 years, and, uh, and what? Uh, that generation, uh, it, Basically, except for Joshua and Caleb, right? None of that generation gets to go in the promised land. But Joshua and Caleb get to go. Um, and, you know, he puts up with them for their good, right? I mean, there's always that call for repentance and walking faithfully. But then, you know, we see that second generation. He puts up with them. There's a benefit to them, too, right? Is kind of the idea. It's just another concrete display of God's patience, right? Grumbling, complaining, God rescues, and then they go away. Now you cannot do this, right? He's like, ah, oh, those those dumb Israelites. If I if I would have been there, I wouldn't have done it. Because we do the same thing, right? We we see God rescue us and provide for us, and then the next time comes around, we're like, well, what what's going to happen? I'm freaking out, right? Like, um, is God going to rescue me? Right? He God puts up with us too, but in a way that we understand that we are in a we are in a as Christians, we are in a relationship with Christ. He sees us through the lens of Christ, but still, there's, there's a great deal of putting up with and patience, okay? Uh, any questions before we keep looking at passages that display God's patience? Questions or comments? Okay, let's see another one. Let's go to Nehemiah. When was the last time you were in Nehemiah? There's a table of contents at the uh, front of your, uh, to the left in an English Bible, to the left of the Psalms, before Esther. Yeah, there you go. Uh, Nehemiah 9, so on my, uh, mine's 640s, 45, if that helps, so uh, I don't think it does, but, uh, all right, so uh, now, Here's a little prop quiz. When is the setting of Nehemiah? Good, after Babylon, right? So this is 
this is post-exile. Um, so uh, they've been in exile for 70 years. There's, actually what happens is there's like three waves of return, right? So the first wave, you get in Ezra, the first, Ezra and Nehemiah are really one book in the original. So like um, first wave comes in, the beginning of Ezra, so you got Zerubbabel and Joshua, and the second wave comes in, kind of Ezra, and then the third wave with, with Nehemiah coming in. So this is like late uh, post-exile, okay? Um, but they're still floundering, trying to get a, a foothold. God has all these promises of restoration. Now what happens in Nehemiah 9, Nehemiah 9, is there's this, this gathering, this mourning, this corporate mourning, and uh, really part of it is a look back on their history up to this point. Um, so we look, just looked at their history kind of, thinking about the Exodus generation, but now we're talking hundreds of years later, and now we've got Israel reflecting on its history. Now, we're not going to read all of Nehemiah 9, although it is beautiful. Let's look at Nehemiah 9, 16, and I'll read from 9, 16 through 31, and keep an eye out for God's patience. But they and our fathers acted presumptuously and stiffened their neck and did not obey your commandments. They refused to obey and were not mindful of the wonders that you performed among them, but they stiffened their neck and appointed a leader to return to their slavery in Egypt. But you are a God ready to forgive, gracious and merciful, slow to anger, and abounding in steadfast love, and did not forsake them, even when they had made for themselves a golden calf and said, This is your God who brought you up out of Egypt, and had committed great blasphemies. You and your great mercies did not forsake them in the wilderness. The pillar of cloud to lead them in the way did not depart from them by day, nor the pillar of fire by night to light for them the way by which they should go. You gave your good spirit to instruct them, and you did not withhold your manna from their mouth and gave water, them water for their thirst. Forty years you sustained them in the wilderness, and they lacked nothing. Their clothes did not wear out, and their feet did not swell. Now, that's still the Exodus generation. That's still the 40 years we were talking about. Now we get more history, though. And you gave them kingdoms and peoples and allotted to them every corner. So they took possession of the land of Sihon, king of Heshbon, and to the land of Og, king of Bashan. And you multiply their children as the stars of the heaven, and you brought them into the land that they had told their fathers to, that you had told their fathers to enter and possess. So the descendants went in and possessed the land, and you subdued before them the inhabitants of the land, the Canaanites, and gave them into their hand with their kings and the peoples of the land that they might do with them as they would. And they captured fortified cities and a rich land, and took possession of houses full of good things, cisterns already hewed, vineyards, olive orchards, and fruit trees in abundance. So they ate and were filled and became fat and delighted themselves in your great goodness. Nevertheless, they were disobedient and rebelled against you and cast your law behind their back and killed your prophets who had warned them in order to turn them back to you. And they created, committed great blasphemies. Therefore, you gave them into the hand of their enemies who made them suffer. And in the time of their suffering, they cried out to you and you heard them from heaven. And according to your great mercies, you gave them saviors who saved them from the hand of their enemies. But after they had rest, they did evil again before you, and you, had, and you abandoned them to the hand of their enemies, so that they had dominion over them. Yet when they turned and cried to you, you heard from heaven, and many times you delivered them according to your mercies. And you warned them in order to turn them back to your law. And they acted presumptuously and did not obey your commandments, but sinned against your rules, which if a person does them, he shall live by them. And they turned a stubborn shoulder and stiffened their neck and would not obey. Many years you bore with them, and warn them by your spirit through your prophets. 
yet they would not give ear. Therefore you gave them into the hand of the peoples of the lands. Nevertheless, in your great mercies, you did not make an end of them or forsake them, for you are a gracious and merciful God. Okay. Now, what, where do you see the display of God's patience? Or where is it even referenced? Yeah, Rachel? Mm-hmm. Yep. Cycle? Yeah. Yeah. So you see the cycle of disobedience, God's, you know, punishment, God's grace. Um, uh, what else? Where else do you see the display of God's patience? She was, Rachel was just saying that, you know, at the outset, you've got the similar language of uh, what we've Actually, it's kind of a quote or an allusion to Exodus 34. Um, so it starts like that from the outset, but then you've got these cycles, right, where you see, you know, uh, sin, punishment, God's rescue, but they still don't obey, right? So there's that kind of cycle happening. What else? Mm-hmm. You're right. So they take the the Israelite covenant, right, um, with all its stipulations, and they've got it, and they cast it behind their back, right? And that's what ultimately lands them in exile. But it's not only the law that God had given them that they cast behind their back. What else did God do to try to reach them? Yeah. Yeah. Right. Yeah. He's bearing with them is another explicit reference to God's patience. Bruce. There you go. Yep. Yeah. Remember, the prophets are kind of like they're like covenant lawyers. Right? They say, so here's the covenant that you guys said you're going to keep, and you're not keeping it, so be warned that God is going to bring punishment upon you unless you repent, uh, but God still ultimately has good plans for you. Right? He's going to keep his word to you. That, that whole, but that's another display of his patience is sending prophet, prophet after prophet after prophet after prophet, giving plenty of warning uh, and calls, right? the call to repentance. Uh, and all of this. So we see God's patience is, is a means, right, of um, people pursuing repentance, right, and change. Uh, but even when that doesn't happen, right, um, you, you, the cycles, as Rachel pointed out over and over again, it's a display of God's patience, a very concrete display of God's patience. So if you think about Exodus generation is 1445-ish B.C., right? Um, David's about 1,000 B.C. Um, Nehemiah's writing in about 
let's say 430-ish, 440-ish BC, okay? So a thousand years of history uh, and cycles uh, and disobedience, and yet some, some repentance along the way, some good spots, but um, more often than not characterized by disobedience and disregard for God's word and his prophets. Yeah. 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 Right. There's always a remnant of Israel that God preserves and has preserved to this very day. Right. Um, and so God is uh, God is continually patient um, and um, has been patient. Right. Very concrete display of God's patience. Okay. Yeah. Eden. Mhm. Yeah. Yeah, it's kind of another display of, like we said, if you, you know, you kind of trace out God's love, right? God's love motivates his mercy, his compassion, uh, and then even the, mingled in with all of that is his patience, right? Um, his patience um, towards people. Now, let's switch gears, and let's go to the New Testament. And so, we've basically looked at concrete displays of God's patience for Israel, right? But then, uh, if we go to the New Testament, uh, Paul, in Romans 2, he, he still talks about Israel, but he expands, he expands out, um, and so we want to see more of the aspects of that. So, uh, Romans 1, what's the base, what, what does Paul basically say, or at least from 118 to the end? Yeah, so everyone knows God. There's no excuse not to know God. God's left him witness in the creation, right? And they have even the sense of what is right and wrong, and yet they are given over to a debased mind because they exchange the creator for the creature, okay? Let's go ahead and then read Romans 2, uh, 1 through 5. So I'm going to go ahead and read Romans 2, 1 through 5. Okay, so who's Paul addressing, first off? In a general sense, like what, who's, he, who's he talking to? Well, so ultimately, in terms of the audience of Romans, he's talking to believers, but he's presenting to them the gospel he preaches. So Emily's right, right? At least the person, people he's referencing here, he, he's referencing everyone, right? Uh, all mankind in general, right? Where, does, where do we see, what do we learn about God's patience in this? Yeah, so here we get a purpose statement for God's patience, right, towards people. It is designed to lead them towards repentance. Um, 
in the face of what? God's wrath, right? God's wrath is coming. God shows patience um, towards those who are under his wrath, even all mankind. Uh, that patience is designed to lead people to, um, to repentance. Anything else you see about God's patience in this little section here? Mm-hmm. Yeah. And in this case, this is like the, well, really, this is hypocrisy, right? This is play acting, right? Where you've got people who say, well, look at those wicked people over there, right? How, look how bad they are. They're terrible. Um, when really, like, you turn that lens back on yourself, it's like, uh, we're practicing the very same things. Um, and so we're storing up wrath for ourselves. That's everyone, and in the midst of all of that, God is, doesn't, is, is restraining his wrath because of his patience. He's giving forbearance. Um, he's, uh, he, he's, he's not bringing that wrath, at least in full force, immediately, right? Yes, Tony. Yeah, for sure. Yeah, good, good observation. Yes, Susan. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. Right. Yeah. You kind of hear it this way sometimes, right? Like, um, well, I'm going to live it up now, and God is patient, so I'm going to I'm going to repent later, right? Um, and that, it's that same mentality, right? And it's presumption, right? It's presumption, and God is patient, even in the midst of presumption, but only patient to a point. Uh, he's slow to anger; doesn't mean he doesn't have any anger at all, right? Uh, there is a limit um, to God's patience. Um, all right, uh, in the same book, flip over to Romans 3, 21 through 26. So by this point, Paul in his argument has basically charged everyone's, everyone, no one is righteous, no, not one, no one's good, no one seeks for God. Um, and then he makes this big turn in 321. But again, we get, in 321 through 26, we see God's patience manifested again, slightly different way. So I'm going to go ahead and read Romans 321 through 26.
Okay, so we're talking about justification here through the redemption that's in Christ, through him being a propitiation, a, a wrath-appeasing sacrifice, um, uh, a sin-cleansing sacrifice. Um, but where do we see God's patience show up here? Divine forbearance, okay? So verse 25. What is, where does God's divine forbearance, what, what, what's it, how is it demonstrated in this context? Yeah, passed over sins of who? Yeah, former sins referring to what? Yeah, exactly. So you think of all your old, let's just say Old Testament saints, right? So you got all your Old Testament saints, right? And you've got guys like, let's just say David, right? Um, David commits adultery with Bathsheba, murders Uriah, and God forgives him. How is God just to forgive David? Uh, I thought he was a just God, right? And there's no answer to that, really, um, in the Old Testament. Um, but, like Emily just said, once we get to Christ, we understand that um, God was showing forbearance, patience, uh, for Old Testament saints before the sacrifice that would actually justify the forgiveness for those sins. Uh, someone, you know, you probably heard this illustration, but like uh, Old Testament sins, they're paid for by credit card, whereas New Testament sins, they're paid for by debit card, right? Just a simple way of kind of illustrating what Paul's point is here, right? It's just uh, every sin that's paid for is paid for in the blood of Christ. But God's patience, even for those whom he's going to save, right? It's, um, he's displaying patience, even though the sins anger him, uh, because he knows about Christ's sacrifice coming, right? And that's kind of what you see displayed in this passage. Very good. Uh, let's make it even a little bit more personal. Uh, so here, effectively what we see is God's patience towards, God has patience towards everyone who's under his wrath. He has a patience that waits. The, but here we see his patience especially displayed for those who will be saved through Christ, right? That's what we're seeing in Romans 3. You can see that very clearly in how Paul thinks about it in 1 Timothy Go to 1 Timothy 1. Um, Paul's writing to Timothy, and by extension, the church in Ephesus. Um, and one of the things that Paul does early in the letter is talk about just who he, um, his testimony in miniature. Um, so look at 1 Timothy 1, 12 through 17. 
I thank him who has given me strength, Christ Jesus our Lord, because he judged me faithful, appointing me to his service. Though formerly I was a blasphemer, persecutor, insolent opponent, but I received mercy because I had acted ignorantly in unbelief, and the grace of our Lord overflowed for me with the faith and love that are in Christ Jesus. The saying is trustworthy and deserving of full acceptance, that Christ Jesus came into the world to save sinners, of whom I am the foremost. But I receive mercy for this reason, that in me as the foremost, Jesus Christ might display his perfect patience as an example to those who were to believe in him for eternal life. To the king of the ages, immortal, invisible, the only God, be honor and glory forever and ever. Amen. So what do you see here? You see essentially God's um, patience worked out for a believer. So here you've got a believer or someone who's elect, right, chosen. And before he's saved, he is uh, a, a vile opponent. Paul calls himself the foremost of sinners, which must be true because he's writing under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit. So it's got to be true that he's the foremost of sinners, um, as he speaks that, um, and yet God had perfect patience towards Paul um, to the point where he appears to him on the Damascus Road, saves him, appoints him. Um, that's a display of his patience. Now, why does God display his patience towards Paul? What does Paul say here? Magnify his own patience for whom? For those to whom to come after Paul, right? So if you think, I'm too, I'm too dirty, I can't come to God, and we think that, right? People struggle with that. I can't, I can't draw near to God, there's no way. Well, what do we look towards? We can look towards, Paul's, we can look towards God's patience towards Paul as an example for the patience that he's willing to express towards us. So that, why? Why is he expressing patience? Why isn't he, why isn't he judged us yet? Right? So that we might repent. Um, so you see, again, that, that illustration of God's patience. Now, God's patience also, if you were to... God's patience is for his chosen people to save them. It's also... A, uh, God's patience is for his wrath as well. Uh, go back... I almost went to this in Romans 9. I guess we're going to go there now. Um, but go to Romans 9... One of the easiest chapters in all the Bible, Romans 9. No problems. Uh, no, Romans 9, uh, 19. Uh, Paul is talking about the issue of election, that idea of God choosing a people to save. Um, and in the midst of that, Paul's raising like the objections of his people who would raise objections against him. He's playing devil's advocate, kind of. Um, and here we jump in kind of the middle of his argument, Romans 9.19. You will say to me then, why does he still find fault? For who can resist his will? Meaning God can harden whomever he will, and he can have show mercy to whomever he will. But who are you, O man, to answer back to God? Will what is molded say to its molder, why have you made me like this? Has the potter no right over the clay to make out of the same lump one vessel for honorable use and another for dishonorable use? What if God, desiring to show his wrath and make known his power, has endured with much patience vessels of wrath prepared for destruction in order to make known the riches of his glory for vessels of mercy, which he prepared beforehand for glory, even us whom he has called, not only from Jews only, but also from the Gentiles. You see, Paul's point there is that God displays patience not only to rescue his people, but he also displays patience towards vessels of wrath prepared for destruction. Why? Well, it really magnifies those folks' condemnation in not repenting in the middle of that. 
Uh, but again, it's a display of God's patience. God's patience. Okay? Let's end on one more. Second Peter. Second Peter. And this is really quite appropriate given what we've been studying in Matthew. Second Peter 3. Um, there's kind of this whole question of like, well, where's Jesus? He said he's going to come. Where is he? When's he going to come? When's, when's the culmination of all things going to happen? Um, and so uh, there's this objection um, and scoffing concerning the end times, really, and Jesus coming and the restoration of all things. So we're going to jump in in 2 Peter 3, 8, and 9. So I'm going to go ahead and read that. We've kind of seen this theme before, but what, what do we, what's it set in the context of? What, what do we learn about God's patience here? At least that there, he experiences time very differently, right? One day is, is a thousand years, and one, a thousand years is one day. So he sees and interacts with time very differently. Um, but then, okay, how does that relate to his... Patience in this setting. And patient to bring about the culminate the culmination of all things, right? The day of the Lord, the final judgment, the restoration, the new heavens and the new earth. And he's patient because it's like for us, right? We say they said this two thousand years ago, we say it today, right? Where's Jesus coming? We want that to happen. It's a joyful event. What's the deal? Well, he has a purpose, and what is the purpose? Yeah, to, God desires, again, it's the same thing we've seen, right? God is patient to bring, he, he doesn't desire any to perish. He wants to bring all to repentance, right? So it's that delay uh, for, you know, the, to give every opportunity uh, for uh, people to repent. Yes, Emily. Yeah, yeah. Where's the resolution? Yeah. Yeah, and so on the author's side, the writer's side, they they also, if you've ever been a writer of any sort, you kind of know that you also kind of have that desire to see the good ending. Yeah. Sure, yeah. And in this case, you know, it's, it's that display of patience so that people might repent, so people might enjoy the good ending, um, which is, that's what God's patience is aimed towards. Yeah. God is patient. Um, you know, if you were to think about, uh, 
you know, in, in a sense, we kind of look at all of these things kind of from an outsider's perspective. But again, think about Paul, right? What he said, God has been patient, patient before our salvation. And we can also see examples of God being patient after salvation. Think of Peter, right? Peter, we've watched Peter from the Gospels all the way kind of through the New Testament letters. And even after he's saved, right? Think of the issue with Cornelius and, you know, clean and unclean stuff. And then even what the interaction in Galatians 4 with Paul, Paul opposes him to his face because he's still, he's still not living in step with the gospel in some cases, not, not as a whole, but in this particular instance. And, um, and you see God's, Jesus' patience with Peter um, even after he's saved, right? So God's patience uh, brings us to repentance. Uh, that's the design. And it keeps us coming back for repentance, really, even as we grow in faith. Any last thoughts before we close? How does this encourage you or cause you to worship God? Yes. Yeah. God has been so patient towards me, um, my failings, my sin, my grievous sin, my lack of trust. God is so patient towards me um, and causes us to give great thanks. So let's go and pray and give thanks now. Uh, Father, we, we just thank you for your patience, your patience towards us. Lord, we have... Um, we started as enemies, rebels, to your reign, your good and just reign, and even after surrendering and um, being brought into union with Christ and being yours as we still walk as fickle and disobedient children. And thank you, Lord, that you're growing us, but we thank you that you don't give up on us. Um, Lord, uh, you've chosen us before the foundation of the world in Christ. Um, you've caused us to believe, and we want to continue to believe, and we want to continue to repent. We thank you for even just visible, tangible, concrete displays of your patience towards the people of Israel, and even to this day, oh Lord God, and also towards individuals like Paul and Peter. Lord, gives us such courage and confidence. Um, Lord, we don't want to presume on your patience. Guard us from presuming on your patience. But Lord, help us to be thankful and to see your kindness towards us and that that would move us to a closer walk with you. Lord, we pray even as we prepare for the gathering, uh, Lord, we pray that your people would be encouraged, uh, that they would be built up. Um, we pray that if there are any unbelievers who join us today, that they would see your patience and your kindness and you would draw them towards repentance. Lord, we pray that we would honor you um, as we gather as a church today and uh, uh, help us to serve one another, love one another, care for one another, point one another to you, uh, nourish one another in the words of the faith. Lord, we pray these things and we ask them in Jesus' name. Amen.